0: Everybody's been too damn polite about this nonsense. The Occupy movement, whether displaying itself on Wall Street or in the streets of Oakland, which has, with unspeakable cowardice, embraced it, is anything but an exercise of our blessed First Amendment. Occupy is nothing but a pack of louts, thieves, and rapists, an unruly mob fed by Woodstock-era nostalgia and putrid false righteousness. These clowns can do nothing but harm America. Occupy is nothing short of a clumsy, poorly expressed attempt at anarchy. To
1: the extent that the movement, some movement, except if the word bowel is attached, is anything more than an ugly fashion statement by a bunch of iPhone, iPad-wielding spoiled brats who should stop getting in the way of working people
0: and find jobs for themselves. This is no popular uprising, this is garbage, and goodness knows they're spewing their garbage, both politically and physically, every which way they can find. Wake up, pawn scum, America is at war against a ruthless enemy. Maybe between bouts of self-pity and all the other tasty tidbits of narcissism you've been served up in your sheltered, comfy little world, you've heard terms like Al-Qaeda and Islamicism. And this enemy of mine, not of
1: yours apparently, must be getting a dark chuckle, if not an outright horse laugh out of your vain, childish self-destructive spectacle.
0: In the name of decency, go home to your parents, you losers. Go back to your mama's basements and play with your lords of warcraft. Or better yet, enlist for the real thing. Maybe our military could whip some of you into shape. They might not let you babies keep your eye phones, though. Try to soldier on, schmucks. (laughs) <laughs> all right he's still we'll got start. it folks yeah he's still got it okay <laughs> welcome back to midnight grappler animals the home of flub nation folks just so you know that wasn't our own words we were merely reciting the words of our friend of the podcast frank miller i'm your host Lan, and with me, I've got a man that can only be described as a menace to Gotham City, Salt and Bank. They also call me the Schmingler. Oh, yeah, the Schmingler. (laughs) It's a real shame. It's the real shame that the Schmingler isn't a part of uh, James Gunn's first phase for for DC. Fingers crossed. We're still getting there. Uh, What are we doing here today, Lan? Well, it's our 10th episode. Can you believe it? We made it to 10 episodes. And uh, what better way to celebrate 10 episodes than talking about politics? Getting real political on here. This is the political hour. We're here to talk about all the conspiracies. We're here to tell you what the mainstream media isn't here to tell you. Yeah, they're turning the bats gay. They're putting chemicals in in your water that are turning the bats gay. This episode, we will be
1: looking at a couple of Frank Miller works, uh, namely... Frank Miller's early Batman work with Batman Year One, and then some of his later work with Batman the Golden Child. Because this is such a broad uh, span of time between these two books, that will also necessitate referencing some of the other Frank Miller works. I'm assuming everyone has some familiarity with this, but uh, full disclosure on my part, I haven't read all of the Frank
0: Miller bat uh, magnum opus, if you want to call it that. I think the only one because we have a list of everything in the uh, the bat epic, if you will. Um, I think the only one here I haven't read is Spawn Batman. Don't worry, (laughs) I read uh... it for you. You're not missing. Oh, perfect. Oh, Awesome. So then we've got like the whole union of of, of bat (laughs) comics. (laughs) Yeah, I I, uh... God, I remember reading Superman Year One as it was coming out. Tell me more. I'm curious about that one in particular. I mean, here's the thing. I'm a staunch defender of uh, John Romita Jr. You know, like I, I, I even now I'm like, damn, that man can cook. But let me tell you, during Superman year one, uh, that shit was difficult. He was being. who, it was a bad time. It was a bad time. Um, I'm,
1: I'm in full support of established artists phoning it in for big two work. Like, get that back, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it honestly does feel phoned in, but at the same time, I don't know, like, it is a pretty good corollary to, to what we're going to be reading for our second book today, um, mm-hmm. just insofar as, like, where Miller's mind is, but yeah, it it's not a time I look <laughs> look back on fondly, to say the very least.
1: Before we jump into these books, I have one question for you, and uh, the answer, I suppose, is more for our dear readers. But what made you want to cover this uh, these Miller works,
0: Len? I think for me, I don't know. I, I, I had decided this pretty early on into the podcast to put this in our backlog, and I think a lot of it was... This idea that I'd been seeing online that like Miller was radicalized into becoming you know like whatever he is now, and, and it. The other thing, the other aspect of it is this idea that Year One is a very leftist or left leaning book. Um. So I kind of want to see if that actually was the case. I mean, like I've read Year One before and. You know, like I, I I got what was on the surface, but I never really looked at it too too deep, uh, beyond that. Because I mean, when you're you're obsessed with the art it's it's very easy to look past. But but I think now I wanna go back and sort of see if, if it holds up, I guess. When
1: we're talking about Miller's reputation and the way Miller expresses a lot of his ideas in these bat books in particular. There's a lot of popular conceptions that, uh, to me, seem to be based off of like out of context panels. So like I'm I'm on the same yeah. wavelength with you. When you, when you read is, the it... work as a
0: whole, it's much more complex. Exactly, it, it very much is like Batman Year One's legacy since its release kind of has boiled down to its like iconic pages. You know, like the everyone knows the page of him. You know closing the fire and being like, you've eaten well, and yet, everyone knows that, but I think it almost feels like an outlet, and we'll get into that, but yeah. the, the reason why I included The Golden Child, other than it being the most recent entry, I guess, in in this, for now, there's apparently a Carrie Kelly book that's apparently going to be coming out at some point in the future. Um, I figured it would be best to just... <laughs> skipped ahead to to the very end rather than see how far we've come you know yeah far is a is is an interesting word to use there all right well let's do it um do you want to jump into year one sure the 1980s is something of a creative renaissance at dc comics coming off an incredibly tumultuous 70s more rights for creators as in more creative liberty allowed and more importantly better pay, and royalties. This offer doesn't apply to all creators equally. Fresh off his success with reinventing Daredevil for Marvel, Frank Miller is invited to come over to DC and basically do whatever the hell he wants with Batman. Miller first writes and draws his first Batman story at DC. Hold on. I got Miller writes and draws his first Batman story at DC, The Dark Knight Returns, as a sort of final Batman story. People lose their minds. The other big shakeup at DC at the time is Crisis on Infinite Earths. This company-wide crossover ends up resetting the This company-wide crossover ends up resetting the status quo for every character under the brand, and perhaps most importantly, this means new origin This company Morse. Crossover... <laughs> God damn This company-wide Keep crossover that one in. This company-wide crossover ends up resetting the status quo for every character under the brand, and perhaps most importantly, this means new origin stories for Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. John Byrne gets to do Superman, George Perez takes on Wonder Woman, and Miller gets Batman. These series are immediately well-received by many fans, and to this day are arguably the biggest influences on the majority of big-screen adaptations of these DC superheroes. So let's take a look into Batman Year One. The
1: first point of understanding Batman Year One historically, to me, is the fact that it's like only about a year after
0: Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, I think the, the other thing is like going into this, my I don't, maybe this is like the cultural understanding is that people see Year One as having come before dark knight returns yeah no i thought you know, that like like a, I feel like, I feel, a while <laughs> yeah i feel like it's it's immediately rewritten itself into the 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 public consciousness as being like the first batman thing that uh miller did but yeah it's the second book um and it's going to be even interesting knowing that it comes after the dark knight rises especially when you see the influences that the dark Knight rises has on the books uh the yeah. difference this time uh between the two books though is that it's not miller doing the art uh this time he's got david matsukeli the the goat himself oh doing art yeah that's the the the
1: art definitely makes it a, a different style um you see that in i mean in the art itself but even in matsukeli's notes at the end of year one he he talks about how like he's aware that Miller picked him because his style is different, and like that's something I think really works to Miller's writing strengths. At the time, he Matsukeli describes returns Dark Knight Returns as kind of like operatic in scale, and this was more street level. So the the two books have this very like wide disparity in um, style.
0: And I think the other, this is like a very much because again when we're talking about like the the role of the writer and the artist i think there is such a deep sense of trust in this collaboration between miller and matsukeli where it really does feel like a, a spielberg lucas kind of collaboration in a way
1: yeah my first impression like getting through the first couple issues like this still fucks like i i love this this book still like it's got problems like yeah, anything like, does but it, it rocks
0: yeah, the tldr for this entire section is uh year one is still fucking epic it's still good it's <laughs> it still rocks you can stop listening you can just move yeah. on to the golden golden child section
1: yeah the, uh, we're we're gonna shift in tone a little bit there but we've we got some nice things to say here um do we want to start with Matsukeli's kelly's art since we're there and then yes, kind of work through the different please. sections um, uh, you know, I, if, if you hadn't seen this book or like as a challenge, you wanted to describe Mazzucchelli's art, it's kind of like a New Yorker cartoon and it works a lot better than you think based on that description. It's something that I haven't seen in many Batman books since, unless it's a Batman book poorly aping this style. So, uh, Kelly is doing this really like clean, uh, clean line work, very simple economy of movement and, uh, The Colors by Richmond Lewis. Um, in both editions, which I'll come back to later, are also really uh, appropriate. And um, man, I don't have any good adjectives here, but uh, the, it's everyone is like on this sublime wavelength here.
0: Yeah, he's just firing on all cylinders. Uh, it's it's interesting because I read the trade edition, which again we'll get to later. But uh, in the back, it, he does show like one of his first submissions to DC for Batman. And and it's interesting to see the disparity between that submission, which looks much more like Neil Adams's work. Yeah, it looks like this. Adams
1: meets Colin.
0: Yeah, exactly. Whereas this feels far more informed and inspired by Alex Toth's work. Um, Just, like, it's honestly incredible just how well this art has aged. Like, you could you could pump out art like this in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, even in the 2040s and it, it no one will ever call it aged art or art of a specific time. And I think the coolest like the the best as- aspect of it is that like this is not the house style for TC. I mean yeah, and that, that's, then, that's they really like have Arna, it's, it's
1: weird too. It's it's weird that it's not the house style with it like coming out concurrently with Man of Steel and the Perez Wonder Woman, because those are the house style and like the DC is going like this is how these characters are going to be defined for like the next five years. You know, not realizing it would actually be the next forty years, basically. Yeah, we're
0: still uh, according to some fantastic posters on Twitter, we're still reckoning with the the legacy of, of Miller's work here. Yeah,
1: um. So, Maz is like ag- again. Simplicity is like key here. Like he, when he like draws props in a room, those are very like scant and minimalist, and and it's everything. There's an intention to everything. Like it's the whatever the opposite of busy is like everything's so clean again, some of it feels like a New Yorker cartoon at places, but like the dude can still draw punches and the punches, every single punch in this book is such a good
0: punch. Oh yeah. Punches stances too. There's um, in issue two, I think it is where, or no late issue one where the pimp takes a swing at Batman or at Bruce Wayne, I should say. Yes. Uh, and falling you know he's like balance. yeah, he's falling off balance. It's such like a simple stance, but it evokes so much character and detail about who you know this pimp character is. And I think Matsukeli like it feels so effortless just how well he's able to capture a character within how they're postured within a panel. I
1: realized reading this that Matsukeli is probably using reference for most of these poses.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I, that's I not like an insult
1: yeah. in the slightest. It's just I, I think it's key for kind of understanding how he's drawing stuff. And the reason yeah. I, I, I swear he's using reference for a lot of this stuff is like he is like full on tracing in that um, retrospective at the end where he talks about his like Batman influence.
0: Yeah, where he's tracing off of uh, Gregory. He's Patti. doing
1: like the spraying art and the Schuster art, all that, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, see so you know.
1: Right. So, I, I think, like, just based on the fact that he would do that there, I think, like, I can kind of imagine him at his, uh, his drawing desk and he's got, like, newspaper clippings and stuff in front of him to, like, get a lot of these poses. Yeah, that's not to insinuate anyway, he's tracing anyway. it. It's just like no, it's, he's trying n- to get a peek into his head,
0: right? But yeah, I mean, like even with the reference, again, with how he's doing his lines, it never comes off as like it never comes off as cheap. I guess like even with reference art nowadays, you can really tell it's referenced. To the point where it, it kind of just feels like an added layer on top of something rather than rather than, you know, like seeing that sort of um I'm trying to think of another word other than influence, but the style, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean the cars in this fantastic, the, the action, the, the fucking punching even is so good in this. Um, One thing I really wanted to point out is the chapter page splashes, which, if I remember correctly, uh, were also the credits pages in the original issues. They are. Yeah, okay. Those are so, so good. Like, with the little blurbs in the top left or top right. And then it's just like one specific thing that he focuses on with each one. And it's just so good. I think that was something that like they started
1: experimenting a lot with in the 80s. And like, I don't know how much of that was Mazzucchelli himself. But God, this makes me like so nostalgic for late 80s, early 90s DC. They were really on fire. Like
0: that kind of splash. It. You can see it in um, Miller's work with uh, Born Again. Yeah. Uh, the Daredevil comic. Like, with that splash of um, Matt Murdock at the beginning of each chapter, you know, like, progressively getting worse and worse. Um, so it's, like, a similar thing here, but, like, this feels like something you can sell the book with. Right. Like, each of these splashes, you can just take and show to someone and be like, this is the book you're going to be reading. You need to read this.
1: Yeah. But yeah,
0: like um, everything, like it it it's very, I honestly don't know how much we can say. Like, the, the sequencing is fantastic. In issue two, there's like this sequence where Gordon's setting, settling down at home. And it's It's like him next to his wife in the first panel. And then you have like this very wide, long panel of Batman running across the rooftops. And then it's back to Gordon settling down at home. And then, boom, immediately the next page is Batman going after the rich folk. Which, again, the other thing I didn't realize on reread is how early that happens in the book the the sequence with him, like breaking into the the dinner and saying that you've all eaten well, right? Yeah, that that scene I'm I'm
1: I want to talk about that now because uh, it's it's good, you know, it's iconic, but it like it's this scene that can sometimes get sort of memeified, where like, oh, Miller is is making this this statement here about like taking on the elites. And I don't know, maybe I missed something. I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts, but like, I don't feel like that thematically comes up again in the
0: book. I think it's, I don't know. It, it it honestly does feel like a cool page for the sake of being a cool page, which I'm totally fine with. I think you should definitely do that. But I think insofar as like the politics of it, um, it's, I think endemic of a larger issue I have with like where this book wants to be politically. Um, but yeah, before we get into the writing, I kind of want to talk about the coloring. Cause the thing with coloring with this being a book from the eighties, it was printed on newsprint newspaper print. Um, so obviously the coloring had to account for the tint of the paper um subsequent reprints were obviously p- printed on better paper um and the guide that they used didn't translate perfectly so for and it every should
1: be, it should co- be noted that it's it's Richmond Lewis doing colors on like both editions
0: yeah like for every remaster and read redo I guess of this book Matsu Kelly and Lewis have come back to do it themselves, which is nice. It's great. It's great that they're doing that. Um, but every collection from 2005 onwards uh, has this like much more flatter, uh, much like a slightly more saturated, I guess, uh, coloring to it. And again, for most of the time, it's not noticeable. Like it, it works. It's still great. Uh, but, you know, there are some panels where you're, you're looking at a very saturated, like, blue for a night sky. Uh, it's it's fine. I mean, uh, like, it didn't deter from my reading experience. I have the 2005 collection, and that's what I used to read this one. Um, but if you're wondering, oh, shit, well, what if I want to read the original color version of, or, like, the way it was originally colored? Uh, the... <laughs> The best way you can do that, if you're not willing to shell out God knows how much money for, uh, for original issues of Batman's 404 to 409, is that what it is? 404 to 408, right? Yeah. Okay, 404 to 404, 408. You can do that, or you can pay 100 bucks and get the absolute Batman Year One hardcover, which has a version of the book colored and remastered and adjusted to look as it did on that newsprint in that newsprint and we're not
1: advocating breaking the law here at midnight grappler animals we never would but there is cheaper alternatives of course yes Um, yes, i I, I think there's there's something you said there i want to disagree with slightly and that's the saturation Mm. it's uh, in some senses i think the set, it's it's way less saturated in the new editions and um and again it's it's like page by page panel by panel it's not an overly simplified thing, but like in uh the original edition there's like these bright red skies, and like that that just sticks out to me so much and then you read it in the new one, and those bright red skies are like this yellow brown and and oh, like yeah. I get why, Rich, I, I, there's so much that can go into this sort of process. I'm certainly not trying to criticize anyone's, like, decisions here. But, like, to me, that the, that original coloring, while it's, like, you know, really uh, primitive in, in the sense of print technology, it really makes the most of what it has. And, like, it kind of define the character. Like, I, I don't see, like, the animated series getting those iconic red skies without this, you know? And yeah, another note on coloring too is like because it was on the newsprints and because of the coloring process, there's like so much texture that gets lost. Yeah, that's uh, what I wanted to bring up.
0: Yeah, like that text, some of that texture actually does make it into the collection. Like the very first page, or first two pages, I should say. Like you can see that texture in the sky. So right. it's weird when it doesn't show up later in the book. Like it's again, yeah, it's really so jarring. After. Yeah. It, it's like a case by case basis where I'm not sure what the process was on Lewis's end, but it inconsistent, I guess is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. I, One I'd last agree. thing I want to say, I guess, re- related to art is, well, I guess technically art, but uh, the lettering, by uh Todd Klein. Master, master work. I, I have no most complaints about it whatsoever. Uh the way he uses that hand lettering to distinguish between Bruce Wayne and Gordon's monologues. Fantastic. Uh, and also I really like the, the font used to demarcate dates. Yeah I think it's Helvetica. I'm not sure but Again, it's it's that timelessness that it adds to this book that really makes me think that it could have come out like a year or two ago if it if I really, really wanted to. Yeah, these are all
1: choices that like on their own might feel like minutiae, but like when put all together, it's just this is you understand like why this is such a masterpiece. Yeah, exactly. Um, My last note art comes back to uh, Maz and Miller, like on the same wavelength. And it's issue three with the the bulk of issue three is the action sequence with Batman being uh, surrounded and invaded in that like dilapidated tenement building by the GCPD. God damn! Like there, there is so much like writer panel. uh, Sorry, writer artist synergy going on here in between the action. Like how Bruce Wayne is like evading these cops and like fucking with them, attacking them from the shadows. Like I, without hyperbole, that is easily one of the best issue
0: single issues DC has ever published of anything. Absolutely. Like it. The other thing is like when you're talking about like pacing. The, it's amazing how much they fit into this story. Like compared to comics nowadays, it really feels like they're really stuffing a lot. But like having the third issue centered around this like cat and mouse conflict, mm-hmm. and just like stretching that across so many pages, these long, long sequences, it really, really feels like Miller and Matt Kelly were cooking on a on a on a level that. Very few artist writer combos do. I don't see any. <laughs> gotta be careful with my
1: words here. I see very <laughs> few writers who cannot draw capable of like meshing with their artist as well as that. Like, I, because Miller can draw and could draw really well at this time, I, I think
0: that's a big reason why the sequence works. Yeah, I mean, you see it in his scripts too. His scripts are like really impressive. Um, it, it, like it's descriptive, not, not as descriptive as like an Alan Moore script, but like it's very descriptive. It's very clear. The communication between him and Matt Kelly is like pristine. Um, even though I assume that there wasn't really that much communication beyond like the script itself, but like the script, you can tell how much thought he put into sort of storyboarding it in his mind as he was writing it.
1: Yeah. Well I mean, I, I will say they both likely lived in New York at the time, right? Is that a fair assumption?
0: I would think so, yeah. I mean, it's
1: it's pretty good. Like, you know, if you can meet with your artist in person, some good things can happen. But you know, as they say, the more cities you meet in with your artist, the 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 better the, better the yeah. book.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We will see Anyways, that. Uh,
1: Dear reader, remember that one. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I think it's a good segue to go more into the writing. Um, the you know just to summarize the art. Uh, no, no, no notes. It's it's perfect.
0: No <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, if you can find the original coloring, um, legal or extra legally, uh, I think you should. You think you should. I had definitely.
1: to read this like a fucking psycho because <laughs> the uh, edition, <laughs> we'll call it, of what I had like all the the line work and the colors came in good but uh the lettering got really blurred on those Uh. floppies so i I was like flip-flopping between like the 2017 edition and the floppies um oh also one one small correction you said that maz and miller and lewis like well we know about miller but definitely maz and lewis came back for every edition there was a um Ugly stepchild 2012 edition that they didn't oh, call no. Maz for. He has such a funny quote. I'll, I'll include it in the show notes, but it's he's just like they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, they they took that off the shelves. That they they quickly realized their mistake. It's it's pretty funny.
0: God damn! I did not even. Yeah, holy shit. Um. Yeah, let's get back to the writing. Uh. So one thing. <laughs> That I immediately thought of just from the first few pages alone is like that John Gardner quote about how there's only two types of stories, you know, like man goes on a journey and stranger comes to town. I mm-hmm. think this feels like a good amalgam between the two, right? Like Gordon and
1: Wayne being each of those,
0: right? And it's not like a case where Gordon is a stranger or, you know, like Bruce is the the hero. I think they both play. Both roles uh, interchangeably. Because mm-hmm. the way this story rolls is like a Lara, the vast majority of it is through Gordon's eyes, I'd say. Like, I'd say a solid 60% of the, the comic.
2: Would you
0: yeah, say? That's fair. Yeah, yeah it's, i it's I, I think so. Yeah, and then 40% is Bruce. And I it's it's the way that you see it through both of their minds rather than sort of like an external uh perspective
1: well yeah they both have these really um layered contradictions in them like they're both of the establishment and against the establishment like gordon is a cop but like has to rebel against this uh corrupt system versus, like, Wayne is of the upper crust, but, like, recognizes how much of the upper crust is, like, corrupted and needs to be fought against. And that's a gross oversimplification, but um, Miller does toy with those ideas in fun ways.
0: Yeah, and I think that the the interesting thing is how it starts with Bruce Wayne coming back to Gotham, rather than him being in Gotham. And then, you know... Facing Gordon, who had come to town. Um, Well, they're both coming to Gotham for the first time, in a way. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's Bruce Wayne is heralded as a native son. Like it says in the text that he's a native son of Gotham, returning. But you know, that's only the facade we see. Only the native the native son is only the facade that Wayne is wanting to show. Whereas the person that's actually coming back to Gotham. Is a complete stranger. Yeah. Uh,
2: there's, um, do you want there's to talk
0: some... about this? Uh, the, the yeah, the origin uh, because this is a a sort of origin story, I'd say. Yeah, uh, there's some really. Fa- go ahead. <clears throat> no, no. Go ahead.
1: Well, there's some really fascinating stuff here with like playing into character origins. Um, you know, it must be said that a lot of Miller's. Inspiration for Dark Knight Returns was the uh, what do I call it? Like the the intensity of the Golden Age stories. You know the the Golden Age stories. You've got like Batman using guns. You don't have any of this formula the way you do, right? So he he wanted like that sort of unpredictability in a way to come back into Dark Knight Returns. And that's all just to say that like he 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 clearly was like chewing on the Golden Age books for a while and when you talk about that that first page um the that first page has both gordon and wayne like sitting down like meeting gotham and eventually meeting each other but like that really perfectly matches that that first page of um detective comics 27 um you you can look at it but like they're they're both like Detective 27, like, has them meeting each other, right? Or, like, not meeting each other, but they're sitting down facing each other. Just in, in that, like, these two are kind of, like, the, the two sides of the coin, right? Um, so I, I thought it was really cool to get that in the, uh, the first page. Um, but the other thing that I, I found really huge here was how, again, with the Golden Age story, Batman is a guy who... Lost his parents, and he uh, he sharpens his skills. He he hones all these skills to turn himself into this perfect crime fighter. And he's he's you know influenced by um, you know physical strengthening and like science. And in that sense, it's a pretty simple origin. It's not until we get to the the nineteen sixties or the nineteen seventies. It's it's like a Tales of the Batman. There's some I want to say O'Neill, but I could be wrong on that. But I like think it might you, have
0: been O'Neill and Adams. Yeah, yeah.
1: You get this like just so bizarrely orientalist angle to the origin and it that's that's so strange not because that wasn't in comics but like that's a thing from the early 30s with the shadow like batman is already like a shadow knockoff in his first appearance because he doesn't even have the the tragic origin yet he's just a rich guy like fighting crime so it's strange that like 30, 40 years later, we take another aspect of the shadow, namely that he like trains in the Far East to learn how to cloud men's minds and learn uh, Asiatic combat. (laughs) And like that becomes this sort of de facto aspect of Batman's origin forever after that. Like what I find so fascinating is Miller, not out of any political sense, just like he disposes of it. He addresses it a little bit head on. He's like, Yeah, I just didn't think it worked. So, like, he gets rid of it, right? Again, that's not, like, a noble thing from him. But, like, where that gets more layered and interesting, again, is, like, when you look at a movie like Batman Begins, which pulls heavily from year one, that fucking movie reincorporates the Far East bullshit
0: again. And then makes it even more racist with fucking (laughs) Liam Neeson. Again, it's always funny, because you mentioned earlier how movies have been taking their influence from from year one and and throughout my reading of this comic i kept thinking about the batman the one that came out last year Mm -hmm. and like how it parallels to to this because again we don't really see much of an origin there either we don't actually i don't think we see any sort of origin there either but it It really does feel stripped down to the point where even his origin, when we do see it in this comic, it's just one page. Mm -hmm. It's just one page of like him summarizing, you know, like what happened to his parents and then immediately boom onto the next thing. It's him as Batman.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of economy in these panels. Like we just see him like karate chopping some bricks and it's like, oh, we know this dude's been getting fucking strong.
0: Yeah, yeah, like he kicks over a tree and you're like, oh shit, okay. (laughs) And again, the other thing is like, you have to think about the fact that this is coming out around the same time that Byrne is doing Man of Steel, Perez is doing Wonder Woman. And the approach here feels so much more different than the other two books, where I wish I was... First off, I wish I was alive back then to see what happened, but I wish, <laughs> wish I was like a fly on the wall of like the community back then, just to see how they were reacting to the three as they were coming out.
1: Well, what's really funny about the differences between those two is, again, this is oversimplifying a bit, but there's a truth in here that uh, Byrne and Perez largely took the existing origins and added all these like wrinkles. Like, you know, with Wonder Woman, you get, like, the gods feature much more heavenly, uh, much more heavily. With uh, Burn, you have, like, the importance of Krypton and all its history and technology plays more heavily. And uh, I think what Miller does well is he doesn't add a lot of world building stuff. He just adds more. If anything, I feel like
0: he strips it back. (laughs) Yeah, I completely like this is very much like a, a story that's centralized within Gotham It never leaves Gotham. Um, but also, it's not just Batman's story here. Like, this is Batman year one, yes, but this is just as much Jim Gordon's story as it is Batman's story. And I think that aspect of it also sets it apart, where it's like, no, our hero has to share his economy, his, you know, like his page economy with this other prominent character. It's like if, yeah, you know, like Byrne did Man of Steel, and it was like half the story is like jimmy olsen i guess or like perry white and i wish that was the book it was (laughs) (laughs) and i wish too (laughs) But, but yeah like the the i can like you read a book like this and you're like okay i can see why miller was so hot in the 80s right um yeah let's see what other notes i have here um yeah, like, it's incredible just how much is packed into each issue. Again, these are 22-page issue, twenty-two page issues that feel far denser than a lot of what's coming out on shelves nowadays. Um, but the one thing I really wanted to talk about was the Dark Knight Returns influence mm-hmm. on this book, uh, just because of how Batman's rhetoric from the dark knight returns translates into his rhetoric in batman year 1 um again like with the whole guns thing the violence thing and it miller realizes that he can't just do the same thing again so his approach to to freshening it is you know like oh, obviously this is him early in his career so he should have some doubts about using guns um, like for instance when he is fighting those teenagers on, on that fire escape you know like there so is cool. that element of worry in his mind when when he, he's like got one by the leg uh, mm-hmm. hanging off a, hanging off the fire, fire escape burris you know like in the Dark Knight Returns this is a guy who's been through the shit for years and years so there's that assertion Um, So, you know, like, again, this is not this is not the Batman from the Dark Knight Returns yet is the approach that he's taking with the writing here. And it it works perfect. Yeah. Um, The other thing is Miller, you know, like obviously this is a very serious book, but there are elements of comedy in it that are (laughs) really well done uh like there's that sequence where batman breaks into skeever's room and uh there's that girl knocking <laughs> she leaves the room she hears something you know like a huge crash she asks skeever through the door if everything's okay then you get this huge wide panel of skeever's getting pinned by batman and he's like everything's okay and then it cuts back to to her again, in the hallway, leaving again the 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 comedic beats there are good, but they're very, very sparse, which I really like.
1: I loved the line uh like when he gets into that first fight, and that that pimp is accusing him of being a cop, and he goes, "Oh, yeah. I'm not the police, believe me, <laughs> like that's,
0: that's so corny,
1: <laughs> yeah, it makes like... him sound more like a cop, which i I love it it was perfect. <laughs>
0: Like he he's so good at capturing how socially awkward, yeah, Bruce Wayne is. He's like nervous <laughs> about doing this. Yeah, like after you know, like in issue four, I think when Gordon and his wife leave, he goes up to Alfred and's like, "Well, did I do it? <laughs> did I do it right? <laughs> did I play it up right?" Um, but yeah, the 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 last thing I want to say about the writing is that it. Again, we we keep talking about this as a as a Bruce Wayne and Jim Gordon story, but you know, like in a tertiary aspect, this is also a, a Selina Kyle uh, origin story, and it's kind of weird that she's just absent from the second issue. I think it's the best way I can describe it. Just she's mm-hmm. just not there. But what's also cool is that. Cool is how much he's drawing out her presence uh throughout the book before debuting her as Catwoman in the fourth issue. Like there yeah. is that element of of earning that element of Batman's world. Uh
1: I mean the thing I like about his Catwoman, because there's plenty I really don't like about his Catwoman. Like I, yes. I don't care for the the prostitution angle and uh, just just because it doesn't add anything for me. But um the thing I do like is that she's driven by spite because on the media, she is assumed to be his sidekick. And uh,
0: she's like, fuck no, I'm not. <laughs> like, that's yeah. And, and, and early on, early on, when she's just <laughs> doing the burglary, the burglaries are pinned on Batman, which I found was right. really funny. Yeah. Like, they're, I'm not saying it was perfect, but I think that build up to her debuting in the fourth issue it was done well uh i think i think it's a it's a level of restraint that not actually it's a level of restraint that frank miller himself would not do today (laughs) uh he peaked there (laughs) yeah well let's get into the the politics the the politics hour if you will yeah, I mean, the, the politics, there's a lot of
1: stuff in here that we've said has been memified, but there is some interesting stuff that, like, kind of gets glanced over, um, especially, like, some of the less common, more progressive moments in the story. Like, I was a little bit dropping my jaw when he goes out of his way to reference, at least twice, that Flass, you know, he's this nakedly corrupt cop, but he's also a green beret and i just yeah. thought there's really fascinating symmetry there between like all right we've only been out of vietnam for about a decade and you've got the the green berets as this occupying imperial force and the the gotham pd is very much this uh occupying force and you know also helping uh traffic drugs very much like the green berets were assisting with
0: like i do wonder how much of that is miller making the conscious decision to make flas yeah uh, i don't know a green beret i'm reading pretty far into it i know but uh, no but i mean like it is again regardless of authorial intent it does end up reflecting pretty well on on the politics of this story i'd say um again the the central conflict here is that yeah the gcpd is extremely fucking corrupt and someone's got to fix it. You I know, I
1: really I really appreciated that like the specificity Miller went with because oftentimes corruptness of the GCPD in these types of stories is just like they're either turning a blind eye to certain things or they're like taking bribes for kind of bullshit crimes. But like this story explicitly states that they are the main mechanism by which drugs move in and out of Gotham. Yeah,
0: they're the instigators, they're the perpetrators, they are the, the institution responsible for, for a lot of the way that Gotham is. Uh, the other really cool thing about Year One is how little superpowers there are in it. You know, like, there's no Joker, there's no... Like, none of Batman's rogues gallery as we know them are in this. Yeah, the one very uniquely a, a a an issue with the city, an issue with the humans in the city, like it, it.
1: Yeah, the one exception to that you get is like when Batman uses his uh Deus Ex Bat Machina, like that. Oh yeah, a,
0: that that was. I mean, like it,
1: it's sick as hell. Like I, I love it, yeah. and like, but it, it
0: also does a like the thing is it it is a. um it is sick as hell. It is a Deus Ex Machina. But he also goes out of his way to acknowledge how crazy a technology it is. Right. You know, like before he actually <laughs> debuts the Sonic Raider, he's like, yeah, that <laughs> or Wayne Tech can't, you know, uh, uh starts with patent to uh-huh. patent this tech. You know, like he, he talks about how ridiculous a technology is. And it's not like lampshading by any means but it does add that grounding to how batman in his stories uses these like sort of deus ex machina moments or gadgets uh if you will
1: yeah, and it really it, it plays into this idea that his superpower is his intelligence. Like this this man is like an inhuman genius in a sense.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um but back to our uh politics. So we mentioned a uh drug dealer named Skievers and I, I can't tell you exactly why, but that guy's name being Skievers was just real bad, man. It was real bad. It's <laughs> Hold on, let me Google what's I looked it up. It has, like, I, I think skeevers comes from, like, this Italian etymology of, like, distrustful or something. It was, like, that's is, where we get a the word skeevi.
0: skeever is a species of large rat commonly oh, found great. Across... Oh, never mind. That's from Skyrim. Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a word,
1: it's the word skeevi, and it's this, like, old Italian yeah. insult for, like, shady. It's just, like... You know, having this one black character in the book be this like this very stereotypical like nineteen seventies like pimp drug dealer, it's just it, it's one it, of those it, things where you're like, oh, okay, like I get where Miller's more right wing tendencies come from.
0: To to me, it, it came across as though the way that like they they localize names in the Ace Attorney series, where like this very <laughs> this character who's very very clearly meant to be evil is named like drugs mcdealer (laughs) you know like that's what it felt like to me it's like oh we gotta we gotta bad guys uh corrupt mccop (laughs) yeah um it is certainly a name i will say yeah let's get into the cops yeah the cops uh it so a lot of this is a lot of this conflict is seen through Gordon's perspective, but I think before we get into that, I think I want to talk about Bruce's perspective because obviously he's very willing to fight cops. He's very willing to knock out cops, but he's also very unwilling to let them die. Um, Like for instance, when he's detained by those two cops and they're, Oh, yeah, Uh, he, like,
1: goes out of his way when the fire in the car starts. Like, he's already, like, hella fucked up. And he, like, goes back to, like, pull them to safety.
0: Yeah, and and I don't know, maybe that is just, like, his own guilt for having caused the crash that, you know, put them in that situation. But it's doubly weird when later on in issue three, his, like, horde of bats lead a cop off a pier. Oh yeah, do you remember that? Like the the, yeah, like those guys die, die, right? Like that was those guys—they're just dead. Yeah, like it it literally says um, that Swanson (laughs) uh, reaches a dead end, and he just like Mm -hmm. is dead. So like, I'm not sure if Miller was entirely conscious of what he wanted Batman's conflict with the cops to be. Like, obviously, the cops are after Batman, and Batman has to fend them off, but, like, in terms of the war against corruption, I, I'm i not entirely sure. Yeah. No, I get I'm exactly told. what you mean.
1: It, like, it, it very much ties into that you have eaten well scene with me, in the sense that, like, while the police and the elites are not exactly the same uh, part of the system, it's Miller... Indirectly expressing a hesitancy to show like Batman, like fully going to the source.
0: Yeah. uh, I I mean, like he, he will go as far as he will take it to make him look cool. You know, like obviously the, the conflict of this lone hero going up against a corrupt force is cool. you know, like when in issue three, that's the core conflict. It's one guy against this entire corrupt police force. Um, so, like, I think he acknowledges that there is something salacious to be seen with with Batman taking on the cops. But again, I'm not sure how. <laughs> again, it's just like the Green Beret thing. Is like I don't know how DP he, he truly thought about uh. The politics underneath all that well and if i want to
1: be really charitable like i think this is about as good as the politics can get in a dc comics book you know <laughs> like I, mm-hmm. I can't see most mainstream dc books like having much more to say because you know there's there's these contradictions especially with these superhero figures if you try to like keep going deeper and deeper like okay well what's Batman going to do next like it, eventually you're, you're just starting to write like a political manifesto at that point and uh,
0: Miller that's not necessarily his strong suit now is it definitely isn't uh, <laughs> anything else we want to get at before we get into that oh right um, uh, everything with Gordon <laughs> yeah well uh,
1: here, what were you going to say with Gordon there was something you brought up earlier um
0: yeah i mean and i think this is a point that people online use as a point against your one <laughs> is the idea
1: of I just saw
0: this yeah gordon being like the one good cop yeah um and the whole narrative of like oh is him being a good cop uh you know like realistic i, I honestly don't think that he's like a good cop per se no he's he like <laughs> You can tell, like, you're you see very clearly throughout the book that he, first off, hates his job. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he's not necessarily a good man insofar as like his infidelity, um, his outlook on Gotham. You know, like, when he's coming in on that train, he's like, a train's the worst way to come into Gotham, you know, like, it's easier when you're flying because you don't see all the filth on the ground you know right. it,
1: it... yeah he, he kind of he's very much like the, the modern archetype of like cops that a lot of people hate where like these cops like see the citizens of their cities like as like subhuman scum these cops don't live in the same cities like they, they see themselves as something separate right like I, I see yeah. that in Gordon and, and you know go ahead well, that that reminds me, too. Like, I, I want to make sure to our dear readers that we're not portraying Batman as this, like, leftist Robin Hood crusader, even though Miller himself calls him a sort of Robin Hood. Because th- there's a lot of stuff with Batman here that's, like, really, like, right-winger himself. Like, his first night out, before he's picked his Batman disguise, that's the night out where he puts the, the scar on his face, and that's his disguise. Um the first thing he does is he like goes to Gotham skid row and decides he's going to fucking beat up a pimp. Like, um, could you argue there is some like ethical progressiveness to that? It's hard, but sure. But like also that's psycho and it's that it's- same psycho energy that like Batman kind of carries himself with throughout the story. Cause he's not just fighting cops. Like when he's f- when he's doing that, like, fight on the fire escape holding the, the teenager by the one leg, like, what, Batman, why are you wasting your time going after kids lifting a TV? You know? Like, if I go further yeah. on that, it just gets hacky on my part, but I'm just saying, yeah, like, I mean, Bruce Wayne like, he's, is not he's, progressive
0: he's, he's, here. He's psycho, and I think that's the best thing that Miller is capable of with in right. terms of, like, in terms of any of his heroes, really. Like, he, he excels when he writes them as psychos or, like, Manic, I think is the best way to describe it like when when batman is in is in a position where he is on his hind legs, just flailing, you know like trying to figure out what the fuck to do I think that's when Miller's writing of him is at its strongest um. Yeah. The other thing I want to say is, like, there's a part where Gordon refers to Batman's actions as assault. And I feel like that's the kind of, like, out-of-context panel that would really pop off on Twitter. You're like, yeah, Batman is just, like, a mentally ill psycho that goes around assaulting people. Kind of fucked up, if you think about it, you know? Like, ACAB, but Gordon had a point? Yeah, like, I mean it's true though. Like, why are we expecting, why are we expecting this guy in a bat costume to, 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 to assault people, to, to make the city better. It doesn't make sense. Yeah.
1: And I, I think (laughs) what Miller is doing there is kind of the equivalent. He's just, he Miller, like I didn't really appreciate until like rereading this, like how much that dude must be a news head. Like someone who just like was fucking watching cable news all goddamn day was the equivalent oh, yeah. of like a Twitter junkie now, you know?
0: Yeah, this was like him in the era of like, I mean, this is right before 24 Hour News, but like uh, the sensationalization, I think. Because again, earlier or. Yeah, like he'd be like an action book. news guy. Like he would watch that, like seven o'clock, eight
1: o'clock news
0: with the yeah, real and salacious he, and stories. he plays Gordon into that because, yeah. again, like midway through the book, it's very clear that Gordon is very fair- favorable with the media and they make a point out of that, which <laughs> I think is like. <laughs> what are you trying to say there, Frank? What are you trying to say there? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on there? <laughs> Yeah.
1: Oh and that that reminds me there's one other figure in the story that I we ha- we haven't talked about. And that's Harvey Dent. Um Miller isn't really doing anything to set him up as two-face here, which is fine cuz canonically he usually does like get built up a lot as a person before a villain. Yeah. But um I, you know, reading the Harvey Dent sections like anytime Dent was uh talked about by anyone, it it just felt so identical to the way like the press does this like fear mongering of DAs now, like especially here in San Francisco, like the way they were talking about like Shaza Boudon like you know, it, it felt very much like recall Harvey Dent, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that 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 wasn't good. That that's Speaking sucks. of things,
0: speaking of things that like Miller does for one page and kind of just never addresses again, there's that one section where Batman is in Dent's office. And, you know like Dent's talking to gordon and then gordon leaves and he, and then he he looks over his desk and he's like okay you can come out now well yeah what was he, he going
1: su- like what- well he he was sucking him off in the panel previous Ah, uh, yeah a little uh, a
0: little uh, easter egg there <laughs> a little easter egg batman yeah. gives top Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, god yeah anything else no i think batman
1: gives top is a good note to go out on for year one
0: year one fantastic book canonically batman gives top yep all right so um that that book's
1: a masterpiece you know what else is a masterpiece dark knight returns the golden child I couldn't do it. I I tried to get through. I couldn't. I couldn't do it, man.
0: I was I was, I was really. Favorite. I like. I had no idea where that was.
1: Yeah. No. Um. Look. There's there's three words you got to know about
0: this book if you haven't read it, and that is Miller is washed. Miller Ugh. is that boy is not cooking. That oh boy is God. not cooking
1: that boy is burning all the food that boy is falling asleep in the kitchen (laughs) like this this is sad man you know what this kind of felt like i I didn't see the hobbit in theaters but like i have this like really awful like self-sabotage self-harm i do where i'm like i'm gonna watch a bad movie i I don't know why i do it but i decided Mm -hmm. i was gonna watch the hobbit and like when you have Christopher Lee as Saruman in those old ones, like, he's old, but he's still got vigor, he's got energy. And, like, you watch Christopher Lee in the Hobbit movies, and the man is, like, dying on screen. Like, you're watching, like, the heart failure set in, his eyes are glazing over, and all I can think about is, like, his, his fucking descendants, like, counting the paychecks of, like, forcing Grandpa to do this performance. And... Jeez. uh. That's how I see Raphael Grandpa, like, roping Miller into this. You
0: know? yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I don't even know where to... Do you want to do the intro before we get into Yeah, yeah,
1: that? yeah. I got a little bit to say before we get into Grandpa. Um, okay. Yeah, th- there's, there's, a little, there's a lot here to unpack with Miller. You know, what we said at the top of the episode was we really wanted to dispel a lot of these myths or, or like, really clarify, like, who is Miller? Who is he politically? Like, what is he saying in these these stories? You know, one point we haven't talked about is like, I think it's automatically assumed that Batman is a stand in for Miller himself. I disagree with that. I, I think it's much more complex, and sometimes he's making fun of Batman, which is funny and it works. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think, I think he uses Batman as a mirror in many ways, but yeah. it's never a, a, of like, it, it never gets into the burn. Kind of, kind of ideology with his her- heroes, right? <laughs> but like, you know, f-
1: one example I would say is like Miller, like Miller's attitudes on guns. Like, he's not a, um, he's not like a rah-rah Second Amendment guy, but he's not anti-gun. He's gone on record saying like he he supports people owning firearms because he's a hunter. But like Batman is like stridently anti-firearm in these stories, right? So that's just one example of how these two are not. then you know batman's not a one-to-one of miller's id right Mm. um you know speaking of which like miller has there's two things i found really fascinating about his politics like one he states i'm a libertarian which like (laughs) it's it's obvious but it's interesting too because like at the t- in the 80s, he wasn't, like, a, a Reaganite, you know, with Superman as this, like, Langley stooge of fucking Reagan. Like, he's clearly standing against that, right? But, like, Miller, Miller is, you know, Miller's a perfect example of uh, radical centrism, right? He's not, like, a normie centrist with all of his, his ideology in the center of a political chart. It's, like, this ring going around, <laughs> like, kind of yeah, hitting like, points uh... on all the spectrum.
0: There was this, there was this, uh, one of those like political chart memes, like where you know that you've got everyone in their quadrant. I think it had mm-hmm. Miller either in off right or or liberal, like very close near the middle. I'm like, Miller does not fit anywhere on this graph. No, there's no, no he, one specific it, point.
1: No, it like you know, I you know, to take a point from friend of the pod, Ramon Villalobos, like it, it needs you got to recognize in Dark Knight Returns that his best friend is a, a Marxist, you know, Green Arrow. Like Batman is yeah. palling around with Marxists. So that he, that's something in Miller that like he understands. Like, and he portrays Green Arrow as cool in those other stories too. So like there's, there's certain aspects of leftism that like he does agree with. But I think like in the sense, uh, while he's a radical centrist, he's still a centrist. And a lot of centrists, they just don't really know what they believe in. Like, or they, you know, they, they don't see how all their, um, you know, all, all these beliefs that work against each other, they don't see the ways in which their ideology clashes with the, themselves. And like, what I found most fascinating with this dude's politics what, he, was that he voted for Clinton
0: twice. Like, what? Yeah. yeah like, I never again, would have guessed. It It's, I would call Miller a holistic Hillary Clinton, man. By the way, Hillary. Ah, yeah. oh, of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> he's with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Like he is, very, I, he is very. He's a he's a holistic man. He, mm, he really just yeah. encapsulates the, the 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 entire spectrum of what it means to be a political being in
1: 2023. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. There's. You know, I've included a few interviews that uh, will make it to our show notes. I got really fascinated with, like, trying to figure out what the hell is this dude's deal. And um, I I found this one interview where uh, Neil Adams is actually being interviewed about Frank Miller. And this is key because, like, you know, we opened the, the episode with that 2011 rant with Miller just going off about Occupy, just saying all kinds of crazy shit. You know... Miller never really atoned for that and for Holy Terror. We'll get more into Holy Terror in a second, but like the most he ever did was he said, I'm not that person anymore, but didn't do anything meaningful. What I found really fascinating trying to understand this guy was, you know, one, I think his divorce hit him really hard. He divorces his uh, oftentimes collaborator and uh, colorist, uh, Lynn Varley. His wife, he divorces her in 2005. The other thing is in this interview I have from The Guardian is Neil Adams is being interviewed about Miller. And while Adams doesn't make it explicit, he is heavily implying that Miller is, like, going off the deep end with alcoholism.
0: Yeah, there was also talks of him having to deal with, like, severe pneumonia at one point, too. So it really does feel Mm, like a one-two... three four punch of like a whole yeah. bunch of things the one of course being 9 11 <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah it, it really does feel like he he's been through the ringer uh, he has like, all day decades
1: and if people want to say like fuck frank miller that dude's an asshole like fine like totally Go for it. Like I, I get it. I'm not here to defend the guy. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand how this person got to where they got. Right, and I, I think there is something to be said that like all that misery. Like I didn't know about the pneumonia and the, the divorce and the alcoholism. I think like being a miserable person and like having a couple screws loose does lead one to like really crazy right wing ideologies. Like that, that type of intense right wingism and like uh, hatred for for people it 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 goes together quite well so you know that's that's my my main thing about miller it's interesting to to see where his life took him at that time
0: yeah and you mentioned holy terror um yes and i think it's (laughs) it's interesting because of how everyone involved in making that book has kind of just forgotten about it like I think the Miller one person has,
1: who, who came out looking okay was Paul Levitz, who was like, You can't publish this here, man.
0: Yeah, that's the <laughs> the one the one of the few times I'd say in history that Paul Levitz is, has been in the right, I'd say, but uh yeah. Legendary has taken it off their their uh I think their site oh, and their yeah. catalog and everything. Yeah, like it it is very much like a, a comic non grata, if you will. Uh, Readers,
1: if you don't know, Holy Terror, it was originally titled Holy Terror Batman. It, Miller started writing it a couple years after 9-11 and Batman was going to, quote, kick Al Qaeda's ass. Paul Levitt says, you cannot publish this with us. This We, we cannot do this. So Miller uh, literally stripped Batman from the book, like erased his ears off and then just renamed the character The Fixer and voila, the book became a um, non-Batman book, an original character uh, where the Fixer
0: fought Al-Qaeda's ass. Yeah, this is his OC, do not steal. Uh, (laughs) Not that anyone would want to steal the Fixer, but but, uh, yeah, I think honestly it's it's best to leave Holy Terror as a footnote. think and everything that there is to be said about holy terror has been said by yeah I don't everyone their grandma and their fucking comics youtuber friends so there is yeah i i think the only
1: thing is like it, it you know it's it's around that time of that occupy note it's where he starts to really go right wing and then mm-hmm. as we'll see here <laughs> Miller doesn't necessarily go more right wing in these these future Batman books, which I found kind of surprising. Um, like in this uh, this Golden Child, I oh. wouldn't call I I wouldn't call it like a right wing book necessarily.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I would call it uh, any wing book. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I just I, I,
2: I, um, I don't know.
0: <laughs> So, let's let's get
1: into uh, production of this book and, and how we got here, and then uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, because you got a little storytelling to do. Yes. Um, look, I said that Miller is washed. Goddamn, this book <laughs> fucking sucks so hard. I
0: kept, I was wondering if I had a corrupted file, if pages were missing, like. <laughs> this thing just, not a single drunk. person involved with this book was cooking not no. a single person <laughs>
1: like we... <laughs> so i read this piece of shit i get to the last page i'm like what the fuck that was it i'm like okay i'll read the fucking behind the scenes maybe i missed something and i've i fucking i i could not believe it when there's this moment uh it's i don't know if it's miller or grandpa writing it but they said Yeah, this was a dream come true for both of us. We had so many exciting talks. We we talked in six different cities about meeting, about making this book. We met in London, in New York, in Sao Paulo. It's like. You met in six fucking cities to talk about this. What? What? Like, I I could not believe that, dude. That that broke my. I just brain. want to know
0: what they were talking about. <laughs> you know, like what? The, like, okay, you're going. I'll tell what six, they're talking six, about? Sure. They're like,
1: hey, did you notice everyone's on their phone these days? What's up with that? <laughs> yeah,
0: what do. A- What is up with these kids and their phones dude
1: (laughs) hey did you notice like you can get canceled for saying the tiniest thing like those are the kinds of fucking talks they were having (laughs) fucking hell they were in Um, sao
0: paulo just discussing like uh what what what's up with bolsonaro nowadays it's like oh shit you hear that guy so that's (laughs) that's a surprising
1: thing that i want to go into for a moment um i don't know a lot about grandpa i know you're gonna kind of talk about the dude for a second but there is this like surprisingly anti-Bolsonaro moment in this book did you catch it
0: yes yes
1: yeah I guess we can go into that later I just wanted to like know if you'd seen that Um, yeah
0: it's doubly funny knowing what I know yeah so this
1: is this is your time to shine like tell tell me in the world about grandpa all i know is i think his art is
0: gross and stupid
1: looking Uh, (laughs) tell me about the uh, man behind the gross and stupid art
0: uh okay so uh, there's first let's go over a controversy because this is a controversial book but not for the reasons you think it's controversial um so in 2019 a lot of things were happening uh including protests in hong kong uh because again it was The hand back over to China, the state systems, everything that was that was going on. Uh, And at the same time, this book decided to come out. And one of the promo pieces they used for this book, drawn by grandpa, was used in the Hong Kong protests. Uh, Which is crazy to think about. I feel like they could have gotten for gone for so much more so much better art than than this as their uh nom de guerre if you will i love that it's a fucking guerre. banksy that's the funniest thing <laughs> yeah it's it's literally just like uh it's God. a fucking
1: banksy drawing with a fucking batman character on it it's the
0: lamest shit you know like solidarity with hong kong or whatever but man y'all y'all gotta up your standards like when I went back and found that this was the like, because I searched up if there are any other controversies with uh, Grandpa, and when I found remember that this happened, I was like, how, how broken is a society we where we were? This was what we were like. If this was the 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 point of the culture war back then. Uh, so yeah, this cover comes out. Uh, DC pulls it. People claim it's. DC kowtowing to China. Uh, DC then goes on to say that no, we're not actually kowtowing to China. There was actually just an issue with the c- cover credits or whatever. Uh, it, but the <laughs> they do still pull the issue, or the the cover, I should say. Which does make its way back into the deluxe edition of the, the book. Uh, but that is the least of... <laughs> Our, it's our, it's our, Batwoman hold on we gotta describe it it's Batwoman okay.
1: throwing a Molotov cocktail it's a fucking Banksy fucking pose and then
0: behind her it says the future is young and I think this is a reference because they had the young animal print at the time and I think this is using the same font uh, uh, yeah, so I'm not I, sure I if it was like a promo for that but it's very goofy that's it's all so I'll say it's, it's, yeah it's, yeah, but uh, yeah, that wasn't the last time that I, I <laughs> myself would would uh, run into one Raphael Grandpa, as uh, I found myself on the front lines, if you will, uh, in July of 2021, defending uh, a dear friend of mine. So the saga begins with Raphael underscore Grandpa. Uh, going on Instagram and making a post stating Frank oh. Miller exposed his most deepest fears through his art because of 9-11. And after a hard, and this is hard in capital letters, hard healing process, he healed. He never hit his scars to promote the dialogue it needs. Choosing wrong ways to express fear is Human art is human art should promote debate not cancellation it's, okay. i love
1: that because it almost achieves like a beastie boys cadence <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The dialogue it needs choosing my basic fear is human.
0: Human art is human. <laughs> you human. Right. The art is human line is really funny because of how big an NFT guy he he ended up becoming. What a fucking corn. And ball. this, this was actually, I'm pretty sure this was around the time that he started like dabbling in NFTs too. He's probably the but, one who
1: tried to talk Keanu Reeves into NFTs. Oh,
0: definitely. Yeah. So, seeing this post, which I, I, t- again, I took a screenshot. I, I tweeted about it. I, I said some shit that I, I probably would have said in 2021. Getting all up on my soapbox, I wouldn't do that nowadays. I'm a never. I, I'm much more relaxed. I'm much more <laughs> relaxed. I'm 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 a man of peace now. I found my zen. So I post that, and my dear friend Guilherme, uh he makes his own tweet. <laughs> And he he say he says, uh, Raphael Grampa can eat shit and die. Actually, I might uh, kiss him, kiss him myself. The clown prince of neoliberalism, which again, hard fucking banger. <laughs> the clown prince of neoliberalism, fuck you. And again, that's usually where the story ends with this kind of stuff. You know, you, you tweet something like that into the void. Nothing else happens, except. At around six eighteen that day, Ghee gets uh, a DM request from Raphael Grandpa, and that's when everything just goes wrong. First off, Ghee is not a violent being. He is very, very dasa. He's you know pitico. You know, like he's he's not. He's a harm. He will do you no harm. So I guess this DM from Raphael. The first message is <laughs> a screenshot of his tweet, and again, he didn't he didn't tag Raphael in the tweet or anything. You know, he just wrote his name. So, dude was clearly term searching for his name online. So the first picture he sends Gee is uh, this screenshot of his tweet. Then there's two missed calls. Bro was actually trying to. Call him over Facebook. This wasn't even over Twitter. He sent. He found. So he found oh, this. Tweet. He found this then, tweet. Name searching for himself. Facebook. He found him. He found Gee on Facebook. Then DM'd him, and then tried to call him. So then after that happens, uh, Grandpa. Hey, can I read
1: the the Grandpa tweets?
0: Yes, so he goes oh, on Twitter man. and he tweets the following.
1: Improving your artistic skills is not enough anymore. How to deal with haters, trolls, threats, fallacies, and maliciously distorted narratives should be included in every arts course. This is an extra skill that every artist needs to develop these days. I roll emoji, about to puke emoji, currently puking emoji. Uh, horny emoji i don't know what that last. Like. uh
0: it's tongue out red-faced uh s- sweat i think it's just exasperated emoji exasperated okay. all right and then what's this next part so he um so this the second tweet i have here is uh <laughs> someone realized that this was about his, the death threat because he mentions the death th- i couldn't find the the screenshots of him actually mentioning the death threat so then he responds to someone about, like, how he found said death threat. Um, or he responds to someone asking what he did after he s- saw this death threat. Again, death threat in huge quotations here. Again, Gee he is, is, he wouldn't hurt a fly. Huge quotations, death threat. Uh, so he, he gets asked, you know, um, how, what did you end up doing? And he responds... Uh, oh, I no, I right. found
1: it on Facebook and made a video call. Blocked me if his mother dreams.
0: Uh, yeah, so that happens. And then uh, I think that's where, where our Brazilian listeners are going to have to chime in. So I figured, he's gone after my friend. I gotta get into this. So I open up my Facebook account or my Facebook alt account, I should say. Um, which I haven't used in about a year at this point. And I I decide to, to pull a grandpa on grandpa where I send him a message request and all I say is coward. Am I the hypocrite here? Your friend threats this me to sorry, death. First, before, you, before you say this, yeah. all I said was coward. All <laughs> I said was coward. And this is how grandpa responds to it. <laughs>
1: Am I the hypocrite here? Your friend threats me to death saying he is at my door to kill me only because I tried to ask for dialogue? I had a close friend that suffered death threats and he was actually attacked. Do you think I shouldn't be worried? I tried to call him and I added persons related to him to try to talk to someone because I wanted to understand why he was doing that. Why he didn't answer? Who's the coward? But nobody answered and I exposed him just for a few minutes only to let him know that you don't threat anybody to death. And so yeah, he,
0: you, he, he posted the tweet sorry, he posted the tweet of that Gee posted to his own like no censoring, no anything. Um so obviously Gee had to go on private because immediately Grandpa's uh, fucking followers decided to start harassing him. So yes, part two of this message. Thanks. And you and your friends
1: still write shit about me on supportive behavior of your friend. You know what? You guys are so fucking wrong. Go try to have real experiences in life before you pretend to defend empathy. And do me a favor and just try to be a good kid, okay? Your parents would be sad if they really know what you're doing. It's not my job to educate naughty teenagers. Now share this message with your friends and do the right thing. All the best for you.
0: Oh my god, just... The 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 now share this message with your friends and do the right thing it kills me every single time. It's like some dar man shit, you know. Like and that's like what common writer
1: would say to some kids at the end of the
0: episode. <laughs> yeah, that'll teach you to not to send death threats. Now tell your friends and do the right thing. Uh, <laughs> to which, of course, me in 2021 being me in 2021, <laughs> I respond, I'm not a kid, you stupid bitch. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Get off your high horse and go cool down, Bolsonaro supporter.
1: Uh, Bolsonaro supporter? Ha, huh, what a clown. Alright, you're not a kid, just a loser troll. Be grateful, because having me responding to you is the best thing that will happen in your whole miserable life. You don't even use as your real name, coward. Go fuck yourself forever.
0: And then he blocks me. Uh and then the-
1: learned a... <laughs> valuable lesson and promised to never threaten anyone ever again.
0: So yes, that was the saga of how I came to butt heads with the artist of this comic that we're about to talk about. Alright, well all of that does beg
1: one pretty big question from me. This yeah. all starts with Guillaume what is that very first thing from Guillaume? He says "Um, he calls him the clown prince of neoliberalism. Um, So what I guess it's a two-part question. Like, what What exactly instigated that tweet or that response from Yem? Well, I'll just ask that question first.
0: So around that time, protests were happening in Brazil about, you know, for Bolsonaro, you know, getting him out because Bolsonaro around that time was not only getting into the hospital every five days, Boy the boy loves going to the hospital. That boy loves going to the hospital, but <laughs> aside from that, he was, he was, you know, ruining Brazil. So people obviously were, were pissed about that and protesting that. And in the midst of that, uh, Grandpa decides to pull some high horse shit and, you know, basically shit talk to protesters. Mm. So this is Guy responding to Grandpa's response to the protests in Brazil.
1: Yeah, so that, um, that rant we read at the beginning, uh, twist plot twist people, that wasn't Miller who said that. That was actually Grandpa's. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, all right. So, so if I'm understanding, um, Grandpa is shit-talking the protesters. Um, it, yes. Now, my question is, is he the kind of coward who is like? Insinuating his Bolsonaro support, or is he the kind of coward who has said explicitly uh, Bolsonaro's support?
0: It is more like I, I looked into it a bit more, and he is more of uh, he, he, yeah, like he got it right in one. He is a, a neoliberal insofar as like he wants everything to be done as cleanly as possible. He's not happy hmm. with Bolsonaro, but at the same time, you know the protests are chaos and, and they're ruining our, our beautiful land to with all these protests, you know, like that kind of TV
1: pulled the same shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, fucking it's that legally. kind of shit. Yeah it's, yeah. it's
0: that kind of shit. So
1: I got you. Cool. Um, yeah. Should we get into the book itself?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, all right.
1: Uh... <laughs> um, so it, it should be, I. Sh- I should say like, um, Dark Knight Strikes Again was probably one of the earliest DC comics I, like, fully read. It wasn't the first, but it was, like, one of the first, and uh, I really liked it at the time. I think Miller was, like, innovating with Dark Knight Strikes Again. Um, A lot of the stuff he had tried with Dark Knight Returns, but he kind of goes deeper on it, like, really giving these characters, like, resolute political ideologies, and um, the the voices he gives them, I, I don't think anyone else was quite making the character so distinct as he was. All that is to say, if I read Dark Knight Strikes Again now, I'd probably find more flaws in it. But, like, god damn, it would still be, like, a crowning achievement next to this steaming pile. Um, and that is also to say, I know, like, some of the continuity. Like, obviously, I know uh, I know Year One. I read uh, Batman vs. Spawn. I have not read All-Star. I read Dark Knight Returns. Um, there's just, there's, there's, there's patches that are missing for me in, in like the, the Miller Batman universe, but like this book should not be so confusing, even if I have read that stuff. And you know, I read that stuff, it would still not make sense. I know. I'll, it. I I'll tell you right know. now,
0: as someone who did read, uh, the Dark Knight Returns three master race, yeah. as it's subtitled, um, yeah, it, it doesn't it no, nothing yeah. <laughs> nothing here makes no. sense. <laughs> nothing yeah. here makes sense. Okay, so like
1: my first questions is like, we see Superman on the first page. He's still alive, but is Batman
0: alive or is he dead? What about Batman Wonder Woman? Is alive the some, the and I find I found this out in the deluxe edition. There's a there's a creative press whatever bullshit they mm-hmm. they say that Batman while this is happening is in another universe. Uh, fighting the new gods alongside Superman and Wonder Woman. Oh, that's a horse, shit, man! Like, that, so it that like, would be it, fine if you
1: include that in the story, but it just looks like he forgot. Well,
0: know? the thing is, they, they were going to include that in the story, but then they yeah. opted to go for him sending the bat thumbs up text to Carrie. Um, yeah, that's all I'll the, say. I'll say Batman, also- so it seems like he's just chilling in his cave or whatever. So the, I'll, here's what it, so here's what they say. Uh, they say Batman calling Carrie Kelly to respond to her clown down message. Um, so instead, we went with Carrie using the Bat app slash emojis in the final version to show the teenage nature of Carrie, which is more original and fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, this sucks, and I, I hate this because, like, I don't care if Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman are in the book or not. It's just, like, these are powerful characters. They would influence the events in some way, and there's no explanation as to whether they're here or why they're not here, whether they're alive, whether they're dead. And you just you get the feeling right away, like, wait, does any of this matter? And you realize, no, it does not matter. For example, the Joker shows up. He's still alive. Does this matter? No. So, like, no. even even in the fucking like behind the scenes bullshit at the end, Grandpa was like, "Yeah, Miller told me like he wasn't gonna explain why Joker was back."
0: <laughs> I mean, nothing there are, mattered here. There are auteurs ot- who you know will put stuff in their their work without explaining a single reason as to why they're there, and it works because it's cool, you know. Like, yeah. if Toshiki Inoue brings something in. Um, randomly in one of his shows, and there's no explanation for it being there, but it's cool. I let that shit slide because I'm like, damn, that shit's fucking cool. Yeah, but right? the key difference here, is, this none, is not... of cool. <laughs> none of it's cool. None of it's cool. Nothing here is cool. You know? <laughs> yeah, the, I got... one of the the most uncool books I've read <laughs> in my entire life.
1: <laughs> well, I had to like check like is Miller a boomer? Because the man has terminal boomer brain, but, like, technically he's a Gen X. It's just baffling. I got one more continuity note, which is, I think, one interesting thing Miller has done in the better installments of these books is, like, address who the president is. So we see Ronald Reagan as the president in Dark Knight Returns. Um, and Dark Knight Strikes Again, I think he did something very cool where uh, Lex Luthor and the Brainiac collaborated to make a hologram man president um uh, mm-hmm. he actually had something to say there politically so that 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 was interesting and uh it was some metal gear uh, metal gear solid 2 type shit you know yes like, yeah yeah that was cool um the president god i'll come back to what the fuck's going on with the president in this book um but we'll, we'll do politics later let's do art um Grandpa he's objectively skillful but he's aesthetically repellent it's he's the reason he's gross is akin uh, to Ethan Van Skyver it's like he can draw disgusting stuff but he doesn't know how to make beautiful things not disgusting and one way in which that manifests is like the dude cannot fucking chill out on lines and wrinkles like when When someone like Quietly or Darrow does a lot of like these lines and wrinkles, they feel like they're there and they're guiding your eye around the page. I feel like the eye, all the wrinkles and stuff Grandpa draws are insecurity. Like he doesn't know how to use negative space or to leave something alone. It's this really weird antithesis of year one. So everything's just so fucking busy and wrinkly and looks like, like, like shit that got left in the bath too long, you know?
0: yeah it for me it, it feels like someone doing a very poor impression of frank quietly being told to do a very poor impression of uh dark knight strikes again era uh yeah. miller you said ronan era miller i can see that but i think the coarser nature of Grandpa's style because again like if you look at grandpa's work here and then you look at grandpa's work um you know like doing covers or even just like elsewhere. It, there is like that gulf, uh, I would yeah. say, um, just between the styles. And yeah, like it, it really does feel like he's just trying to emulate a whole it's bunch all of stuff. emulation. Yeah. And, and like uh, we'll take me, that, like, like... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Because um, with the Dark Knight traits or Dark Knight Returns 3, the master race, uh, that was Andy Cooper. And like it obviously was cleaner, but I think there is that element of experience to it. Whereas here, it honestly does feel like Miller's idea of like this is our modern book, we're gonna get someone who is not very, very um, how do I put this? Like, grandpa obviously doesn't have a large body of work underneath, he, him. he was arguably up and coming at the time
1: in terms yeah. of like American audiences.
0: Yeah, so, but the issue is that it, it feels that way. It's not like a Matsukeli situation where Matsukeli was relatively new or relatively like up and coming around right. the time that Miller chose him for your one. And I guess that's the other aspect of you know like choosing these two books is it is a very similar paradigm where Miller was propped at this very uh, tenacious time in comics and was tasked with like finding an artist to bring his idea to life but yeah grandpa was just the worst choice he could have made in so many different ways yeah
1: there's just so many panels where it's it's very much that chronic case of oh remember this do you remember the cover to um dark Knight when superman and batman are silhouettes on the trash heap and they're fighting each other oh you remember that like it's just it's so fucking nauseating um so you know I, I like I said the guy is just doing pastiche after pastiche but well, you know what equally sucks is when he tries to make original shit like I fucking hate these original costumes so much there's yeah. there's a lot of people I like who like the batwoman costume I detest this batwoman costume
0: I I like again I see all the influences I know where he's coming from yeah. but at the same time it's just like it it feels like he's trying to do a very bad um oh god griffith from berserk
1: i can see that a little bit i mean i definitely see like the kryptonite gloves from dark knight strikes again yeah um, like i i really hate how uh like busy this this cape is like there's just it's got like four wings, and like it's crinkling, like it's trash bags. Uh, oh, I kind yeah. of see the Griffith thing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that again, yeah. the problem uh, is that actually looks cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the shortened, the shortened uh, ears, if you will, are, are nice. Like again, it, it really does feel like he's trying to evoke that first Batman outfit with the with the way that the eyebrows sort of climb into the, the ears, but I don't know. It's just,
1: I, I think what I really detest about this costume is like, there are some interesting ideas here. Like the clasps on the Cape meeting the symbol is cool, but like, there's just so much like bullshit everywhere. Like these, these big chunky boots, but they've got like straps, like kind of hanging off of them. Like, this this cape has this re- really weird shape that, like, it, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> I, I've said enough there. Um, But yeah, I, I think the other costume... Not, for
0: me, there's not enough detail on the shoes. And uh, yeah. it, I think it would have been really cool if the shoes... Yeah, they look like potatoes. More... They're, like, the, the shoes make up for, like, a third of her body. I think they could have... Right. You know, put a bit more effort into making them actually feel like a third of her body. Um yeah. I think this
1: costume could work if it had gone a lot simpler. Let let, let me see. Yeah, he, he could have stripped down some of these elements. Yeah, because he's kind of going for a. Um, it's it's finally hitting me. He's kind of going for like one of those duster jackets that has that like top layer that hangs around the shoulders. But oh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But it's just it's so fucking busy and so fucking wrinkly. Like I've heard people complain about like uh, Miller's stuff being too wrinkly and not getting the like cloth physics but like this this is so much worse like I'm looking at this first splash of Carrie Kelly in like her bat suit and like there's wrinkles in places where the fabric is like most extended and it's like I know he knows those don't go there and they they don't make it look better again it's just I think he's really insecure about just like a clean line so he has to like draw an extra bullshit there um, yeah. The other, the, I want to talk about how much these other costumes <laughs> suck, too. Um, the Superwoman, there's not too much to say with her costume. It's pretty forgettable. Uh, but god damn fucking Superboy is like the ugliest thing I've ever seen, dude. Oh, I hate this thing.
0: Superboy, I want to run you know. it over with a car. Jonathan Griffin? Stewie, Stewie <laughs> Kent? <laughs> yeah. Okay. so I, I read this entire comic. With the Stewie voice, whenever I was (laughs) was reading any Jonathan Kent dialogue, I was thinking Stewie Griffin.
1: Dude, he's like, okay. (laughs) There's there's so many things about this that don't work. Like for one, he doesn't look like he belongs in this book, right? Let alone he doesn't look like he belongs in a Superman book. Like, there's nothing about his design that looks like superhero to me. (laughs) It Um, it feels
0: like something out of a '90s anime but in the word like i mean that in a derogatory sense Yeah. (laughs) like this is like grandpa going up to 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 miller and be like okay okay i know that you love doing that like that japanese asian shit hear me out hear me out here presents his huge fucking head
1: yeah, and oh, he's like yeah. supposed to be like 7 or something, but he's got like the wrinkles of a 90-year-old man. And I I think he's kind of like the the keystone to this book. I guess he is the golden child that's never really explained. Yeah. But like he is the keystone because he you can look at him and you can see all the contradictions of the designs, and it's these like design contradictions that like are the perfect micro of like this book's like, incomprehensible, like, style and politics in macro. And, for me, it comes down to this dude's fucking head. He's got this giant goddamn head, and he's got a Chelsea haircut. Now, like, when I went to high school, we had, like, a lot of punks. Like, like people into the punk scene. And, like, the thing about the Chelsea was, like, that was a girl's haircut. Like, girls wear the Chelsea, and it was, like, those are girls who were, like, in the punk scene, or, like, dating skinheads. And, like, these chicks were, like, very alternative, did not give a shit about nerd shit, and, like, were, like, very, like, fuck you in their in your face, but, like, you know, cool when you actually got to know them. This kid does not have that attitude. He's not a girl, so there's nothing he's saying with the gender politics. I mean, I'm, I'm... Yeah, oh yeah, it's true. Nothing is being said with the gender politics. Right. It would be fine if he had a girl's haircut if he had something to say there, but he doesn't, so he just doesn't know what to do with his haircut, and he's not even drawing it right. So, it's just everything
0: yeah. about this sucks.
2: <laughs>
0: Look. And he tries to be quirky with the way he draws Jonathan. Like, there's that one scene where um, you know, him and his sister pull up behind Joker, and he's upside down for some reason. Uh, yeah. I hate like, it. It, it, it honestly does feel like that sort of Orientalist take. Like, We'll get back to because, like, again, this is where the enemy uh, rock, paper, scissors thing comes in. But like, mm-hmm. it is very much like an Ori- Orientalist look at these things that work in anime, trying to translate that into Western art, and it just not working at all. Yeah,
1: like Wonder Woman is like a mixed black Latina in <laughs> Dark Knight Strikes Again, and now they've got this like Japanese looking little kid. It's just...
0: None of this works, dude. This
1: book drives me fucking crazy. Um,
0: yeah, some of some of the nameless characters are drawn fine. Like, there's that scene that where the best part for sure, yeah, yeah, like where the Joker's are fighting against the the Bat protesters. That like that that's all done fine. I like when Grandpa's actually allowed to draw more cartoony faces.
1: Yeah, he does. He does better with that. It's got kind of a Mobius vibe
0: yeah but i when he he's just does, trying too hard he's just trying too hard
1: when he does those like crowds um it, there's some fun poses going on. there's a lot of dynamism there but what i find so strange is like the dude can do poses and he can do like characters at different angles but like if you go in and like count the number of times uh superwoman shows up i would say at least seven panels of her are in this like same weird like kneeling but flying pose. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
0: the and again, this is very much like uh him trying to ape Miller, you yeah. know, like with the the more oh, yeah. <laughs> like it it's very much like Miller's style from the 21st century but Again, it would feel all right if it was actually Miller doing it, but it it just doesn't work when it's other, someone else trying to emulate and it's very very explicit and very very clear that he is trying to emulate Miller. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's... Mm. The one page he emulates Miller well, I would say, and it's actually one of the only pages that works for me overall, is when um, the power goes out and Batwoman is chasing the Joker in the, um, the arcade. arcade.
0: Oh, yeah. The arcade suite yeah. sequence is like the, the one good sequence <laughs> throughout this entire book for me. Yeah, and, like, that's fun. That the, colors, the colors work well. Um, you know, the, the use of inking there works well. It feels far more...
1: Well, he's it, chilling out on the
0: lines, you know? It yeah, he's like, chilling it, out. To, yeah, exactly. Like making more everything space. more solid, more negative space. Like it feels like the first time he's actually innovating with his art, this entire book. Yeah. Um. On the note of colors. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't realize that this was uh Jordy Belair until I looked at the credits because nothing about this feels like her. It just doesn't feel like her style at all. Like the texture of it, the it just doesn't it feels like she was told to emulate. And I think they actually do mention this in the very back where, yeah, Frank and Raphael developed their own color guide, which Belair was then told to work off of. Mm hmm. So it's definitely the least offensive part of the art here but again yeah. knowing what Bel Air is capable of it just doesn't work for me
1: yeah the, uh, the last character I uh, that doesn't work for me is Darkseid and mainly because everyone's face is so fucking wrinkly and craggy once you see Darkseid it, it doesn't strike you as wrinkly and craggy You know, there's no, um, there's no disparity, no contrast there.
0: He, he honestly feels very normal compared to everyone else.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, anything else you want to say on art?
0: No, not really. I think we've said everything we can. Oh, other than the fact that I think grandpa draws in Greta Thunberg near the end. Yeah, I'm not sure if you. Got... As hell. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, like near the end, I think it's like one of the the, the oh, third last panel of this stupid. entire book.
1: Yeah, it's this
0: girl in the front that's drawn very much like Greta Thunberg. And that's again,
1: probably Miller's idea.
0: That probably is Miller's idea, and we can get to that book. Is that the next Ugh. thing we're talking about here? Oh, we're yeah,
1: gonna to... yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, writing I'm first. I'm... <laughs> I think you know we've we've had hater land. This is uh this is hater, hater salt coming out. Salt. Yeah, salty God. salt. Oh, yeah we're feeling salty today oh. um oh uh yeah this is like miller is trying to recapture everything he did in dark knight returns and it's like it's so sad it's like i i don't know like if you had i've, I've already made the fucking analogies but i there i have a lot of specific examples here that like really suck like he says um like rats, the kind that can fly. Like, that's, that's something that, like, they're talking about, like, to, like, talk up, you know, oh, yeah, Batwoman's gonna save the day. Like, that's almost identical to a line we get in fucking Dark Knight Returns. The other thing he does that's so grating is, like, how he repeats dialogue. He'll do that in um, year one, but he, he's got some self-control. Like, the thing he does a lot is, like, he'll take the first word out of the sentence, say the sentence, and then do it with the first word again so end, yeah yeah he'll be like run away you run away you know and it's it's got a naturalistic vibe at times but when he when he goes into it too hard it's just so stupid like like he's trying line, to be
0: po- he's trying to be poetic but the poetry barely comes across in the dialogue yeah it's like he's trying to do an impression of himself he goes yeah. there's like a crook that says I
1: don't know who says this, but it goes, maybe he's got something more in him needs busting up. What's the word, Squid? You got something more needs busting up. (laughs) It's it's just, it's like, it works for um, the Mutant Gang in Dark Knight Returns. They have this kind of like unique vernacular, but then here it just, it it feels so like broken up and not organic. Um, Speaking of dialogue, Superboy talks like a 60-year-old man. It's Again, Stewie
0: Griffin. super
1: stewy
0: some super stewy
1: I think one of the like weirdest aspects of the dialogue is when he okay so Trump is a strange character in this book because Trump does figure into the book but like you they never actually draw Trump what they draw are Trump posters and Trump merch but Trump as a guy doesn't show up in the book we do get like um audio voiceover of Trump in the book, but he doesn't get the Trump cadence there. It's like, that's that's so easy to get. Like, anyone can do a funny Trump impression, maybe not getting the, the voices, uh, you know, Tambra or any of that stuff, but people can get the the, the patterns, and he, he fucks that up, too.
0: Yeah, that's so I, weird. And I don't know if that's intentional, because obviously, you know, they can't go one-to-one with Trump. Yeah. Um, because of the state of how comics are made nowadays but like it's so cowardly it is very it's very much apparent that they're they're like they are very clear this is trump yeah. you know like <laughs> without actually saying this is trump yeah but,
1: it's it's so sad it, again like... this
0: this comic shows restraint but it shows sure. restraint in all the wrong places exactly. and then it doesn't show restraint in all the places where it really should be showing restraint
1: yeah um yeah i got just a couple more writing notes uh one weird thing was how much this lifted from the grant morrison batman and final crisis run did you notice that yeah especially with all the
0: dark side stuff right
1: dark side stuff like dark side reincarnates in the book very similarly to how he does in uh final crisis you've got the raining blood um the bit with Carrie Kelly planting bombs in places she expects her villains to go is the Damian Wayne thing from Batman 666. Like, and that was just such a specific one, you know.
0: Yeah. Though yeah. I feel like that might just be a coincidence in the long term. Well, movie. it's in, yeah.
1: you know, these these stories are running out of juice. <laughs> <laughs> they just—they're yeah. all gonna start doing the same thing eventually, um, and then Miller, like I said, he's doing an impression of himself, which is really weird. So like, like
0: everyone—the thing is like everyone in this book is just doing an impression of Miller from twenty mm-hmm. or thirty years ago.
1: Yeah, it's it's really fucking sad. Like in Dark Knight Strikes Again, there is what I thought was an iconic moment where um, Superman goes into Batman's cave to confront him. Batman, uh, the Atom is now on Team Batman with his powers restored and he jumps into Superman's ear and bounces around his brain to throw off his equilibrium. Very cool sequence in that book. Here it's like a find and replace where like Super Stewie gets like all the powers at the end and he jumps around inside Darkseid's brain. It's just, it's like the exact same thing. It's just, it sucked seeing that. Like, and There's no twist on it. Um, the way he describes Darkseid's voice, he says it's Coke bottles being ground up. In year one, Joe Chill's voice in the flashback sequence is described as glass being crushed. It's just there could be something going on here repeating these tropes, but it just feels like this dude is running out of gas.
0: Yeah, like, I, again, I know that there are people out there that can try and extra- extrapolate this as you know, sort of, this is the O at work, but I honestly don't think that there's any sort of auteur, <laughs> auteur theory going on here you No, know, no, Well, because
1: it doesn't have anything to say. Like, that's that's my last writing note before we get to the, the politics is, like, you know, e- even if you just look at it, what is this saying in terms of what happened? Like, these characters don't change. Like, Super Stewie gets powers, but, like... It's weird. Superwoman gets uh advan- gets um like possessed by Darkseid, but that doesn't have any impact on her.
0: Yeah, and, and- because immediately you know Super Stewie steps in and takes over the the, the plot basically. You know, like she, right. you get this like shot of her being possessed by Darkseid, and then immediately she's after that she's just floating in the air for God knows how many panels,
1: and then she's fine. And yeah. it's it's very strange, the conflict in this book between, like, and I say narrative conflict in terms of intention. It's like, is this, like, a super kids story, or is this a bat kid story? Because, like, it feels really disjointed flipping between the two, and then you get to the end, and you realize that Carrie Kelly Batwoman has barely been in it. It's like, it's more of a Superman family book than a Batman book. It's, oh, God, I'm I'm already, like, belching and, like, throwing up a little in my mouth. That's what this book is doing to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, Woman really is, like, a tertiary character in her own book. Um, <laughs> which may be why Miller wants to do a Carrie Kelly book, or is in the process of doing a Carrie Kelly book, or whatever. Yeah, like, she's she's barely in this. She is supposed to be, like, this voice of the people, and that voice is very quiet, if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, I think and that, that we can get into the politics. That's
1: the politics. Yeah, there's a single panel of Joker wearing the Melania Trump "I don't care" jacket. Why is that there? I don't know. I don't think Frank Miller knows. Um, there's just that. There, I was going into this expecting like Miller to be like this raging right winger. Or to have something. There's nothing here. Like, Trump isn't even, like, a character. Like, he, it's, it's like implied that, like, Joker and Dark Side they have this, like, collaboration where they're trying to, like, manipulate people and get them riled up, and, like, Trump is a figurehead for that. But
0: again, like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't it's do a, anything. The, first off, that's like, uh, again, going back to, like, him repeating bits, that's like the Lex Luthor and Brainiac thing from Dark Maidstress. You're right! Again. Holy it's shit! Like,
2: God, fuck! God. Damn it!
0: It's like him trying to put a modernist spin on it, but the modernist spin just doesn't work because it's like, oh, we're we're agents of chaos, we sow chaos, but there's (laughs) nothing about like what that chaos is, what that means for the people, just that like people are getting chaotic and they're online. Yeah, (laughs) they're (laughs) on their iPhones and they're on their iPads and they're (laughs) they're not gonna let you take that
1: to. The war on terror—they're not going to let you bring that. Yeah, and the the riots thing is so funny because you think it's going to play in heavily, and by my count, there were two riots in this book. Um, we see Grandpa draws these like sweeping crowds. They're, they're fun to look at, but like there is nothing explored there with these riots. It's not explored like what changing material conditions instigated this. What's the ideological clash? Are the heroes' lives affected? Are we're is the told Joker that there's game?
0: an election. But what is that election? Who's Trump even running against?
1: You know? Yeah. And the the Joker gang. Maybe they're the proud boys. Miller doesn't seem to
0: give a shit about any of this. So there's no stakes in this story. It's just like. He spends so much of this book being like, oh, I'm, there's a message to this. I'm telling you a <laughs> message. Are you listening? I'm saying a message right now. And the message is just nothing there's the
1: right and again like there's this popular online conception of miller as this like crypto fascist and and he's really not i'm not defending the dude like he never owned up for like the the anti-muslim comments i'm sure he's got all kinds of like isms racism sexism all that I'm i'm not defending the dude but he's not even a coherent right winger he's This was a fucking tragedy to read because it wasn't right wing. It wasn't left wing. It was the saddest form of radical centrism, which is Facebook boomer. If you scout any gallery of Facebook boomer memes or go on Mark Hamill's Twitter, it's the same empty platitude that Miller's offering here. The youth will save us. Politics is all a distraction. Vague gestures of populist uprising. Just
0: all flash. No substance. Speaking of all Flash No Substance, there's a panel where Darkseid is resurrecting and he zooms past a communist satellite. Not even like a Russian satellite. Literally
1: hammer and that. sickle. That's so fucking funny.
0: Oh yeah, what? What, what is going on? Like, why oh is God. that? Again, it it really feels like they're just throwing shit at the wall just to see what sticks. And none of it sticks. It's just... Yeah oh um, god it's, it's very it's like it's,
1: it's it's loose very liquidy uh like hershey's syrup type it's a shit. type
0: uh hold on let me pull up my poop type the chart, poop chart. From, uh, yeah yeah i've got a i got my own discord server where we have a channel called poop discussion oh, i want to be on um, that discord that sounds great shit um yeah types and- seven is liquid consistency with no solid pieces. Uh <laughs> that, that is, is this book. You know,
1: is, I really enjoyed our conversation, but if uh we had to sum up this book, we could have just said that. That's what this book is.
0: Yeah. I I honestly have nothing to say
1: about this book. Oh that my is the perfect place sucked. to
0: end end this yeah. episode. Uh, Yep. Uh, but before we do,
1: before we do, um, this is episode ten. Okay. Go let's, ahead. The, well, let's take all that again. I gotta. Um, I'm gonna cut all this. I'm use the bathroom, and then we'll uh, get right. back in.
2: Type seven. You ready? Yep.
1: We've covered the Frank Miller Bat Saga and how the Mighty have fallen. So we're done with that, but we are not done with the episode. What do we got next, Lan?
0: Well, it is the 10th episode, and what better time to bring in a new segment for our podcast than on the big 1 0? So I we would do this new segment i like to call tastemaker's grab bag tastemaker is a word i really love to use Uh, so this segment is basically just us picking a handful of things uh that we want to recommend uh that people look at um and yeah just to see if uh if it's something you want to check out i don't know if this yeah you won't. You yeah. might not be into all these
1: things, but there maybe one or two things like, "Oh, cool, that's my jam." So we'll just do quick little uh, suggestions. Yeah, for salt.
0: You. you go first.
1: Yeah, um, I'm gonna do all of them except for one. I got one more okay. for you. Go. Um, yeah, I got just a few things. Uh, no, no comics from me right now. But um, I've been playing Yakuza Zero. Do you know that? Yes. One? Uh, do it's I know that? Really one? I have
0: 100 and. One hundred and a half hours put into that game.
1: King. Uh this game is really hard and um it's only hard because I suck at games, but it's like hilarious and the fights are awesome, so I'm I'm into it. It's fun.
0: It's a 10 game. It's
1: genuinely one of the greatest
0: games ever made.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm having a good time. Um so I got that. I have another film I watched recently called Mr. Freedom. Uh this is an independent French film from I believe the late 1960s. It's done on like a almost $0 budget. It's a um it's a parody of Captain America. The titular character Mr. Freedom wears like a uh, football gear basically. Um it's so good. Like it's it's very like explicit on the nose political messaging but then there's like a lot of stuff like in the background like alluding to like United States engineered coups and uh you know imperial violence and it's just it's got a fun visual style. I also I like anything that's done on like a no dollar budget. So yeah, if you like um if you like lefty leaning parodies, I uh, recommend check out Mr. Freedom. Um I got I got two, two more for now. Uh, I didn't watch it recently, but I was thinking about it because you know we talked a lot about Batman adaptations, and I, I watched a year ago a, one of the animated films called Batman: Soul of the Dragon. Did you hear about this one?
0: Uh, yes, I did. Yes, yes. I uh, haven't watched it, but i have meaning to. Uh,
1: I loved it. I I'm being completely sincere when I say it's maybe the best uh, Batman film adaptation. Like. I I can't, like, sugarcoat it. It's, like, some of the the cheaper DC animation, but it's not that, like, Archer style they've been doing recently. Um, It's very much like a uh, Black Dynamite-type exploitation film. But, like, I don't want my Batman movies to be smart. I want them to be stupid, which it is. And uh, I think the main thing it's got going for it is the animation really shines in the fight choreography. They've got some really good fight choreo sequences. Yeah, that's that's most of my grab bag. We got one more, but I'm gonna turn it over to you.
0: Yeah, so on my end, first thing I want to recommend, uh, is Metroid Prime Remastered, playing that shit for like a week and some now. Oh my god, it is so so good, so atmospheric, so well made. Like, it's a game that I did not think would exist. Like, this remaster is something that I did not think would exist, and the fact that it's something I can play. On my screen right now is just, oh my god, I'm still, not, I'm like halfway done, and god damn, I don't want it to end. I really hope they remake, uh, or remaster, I should say, uh, Prime 2 and Prime 3 before they release Metroid Prime 4, whenever that whenever that happens. Um, but yeah, if you haven't played Metroid before, it's a really good starting point, I would say. Um. And yeah, that's my first one. The second one I want to talk about uh, is actually a comic, but let me see when I actually read it. Because it's been a while since I've actually read the thing, but I do want to recommend it. Uh, and that comic is... Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, no, I'm really kidding. Uh, it's... Uh, Doctor out of here. Strange... <laughs> Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise. Uh, It's by Tradmore, There are more. If you're talking about, you know, artists that are cooking on a whole other level, this is Tradmore doing four issues of some of the craziest art. Like, this is genuinely, the bar has been set for 2023 for me. And I really don't think many comics, or honestly, very few comics, I'd say maybe two or three comics could ever surpass this. Uh, in terms of being the best of 2023 for me. Uh, So yeah, Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise is my second recommendation. And then for my third recommendation, um, so in September, Shout Factory released the Blu-ray edition of their Kamen Rider Kuga series. Uh, And I watched like the first disc of that back then, and then I kind of put it on my shelf and haven't been able to do that, so I've been back to re-watching it. God, it is so good. Kamen Rider Kuga is the first Heisei-era show. Uh, if you haven't watched any Kamen Rider at all, genuinely a fantastic jumping-on point uh, for the series. It, Yeah, it's fantastic. Like, uh, It's one of those shows where it's hard to describe why it's so good, but it is just so, so good. So that's my third recommendation for our first tastemaker's grab bag. But then we come back to you, Salt, because you brought something to me at the very last minute. And it it certainly is a something.
1: A something. Well, we do have one good thing before we get there. Um, Oh. That is uh, Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust. Yes. So... A uh, friend of the pod, Daniel Irizari said that this is one of the finest animated films ever made, and goddamn was he right. I was hooting and hollering, literally jumping it's off so of my couch. It it's it's so fucking sick. And I knew right away I had my boy Takeshi Koike of Redline Fame doing some character design work. Um, this movie goes so hard. It's it's so fucking metal, it's It's kind of like a Hieronymus Bosch painting meets Wild Wild West, but like even cooler than that. Um, It's it's just gorgeous. Uh, It's and you know what? There's a 1080p rip of it on YouTube, so you have no excuse not to watch this. Um, So, hey, why?
0: Why did I hear about this? How come I? Well, what made you think to, to, to bring this up?
1: Yeah, funny thing. Um, Lan referenced the uh the AI art disaster piece, Anime Rock, paper, scissors. Um, so you you probably know about this by now, dear reader, but just to give you the broad strokes, there's a channel called uh Corridor Clowns. Uh Corridor Clowns does these uh these videos that get pretty big on the algorithm where they invite VFX artists to talk about how they did the VFX for well-known movies both new and old anything from like uh avatar to the the marvel schlock whatever they call all those people on so they do a lot of breakdowns but they also like make their own shit sometimes and they did a video recently where they said we found a new way to do animation spoiler they did not find a new way to do animation they used an ai uh, fucking like ai art generator program to come up with like rotoscoping but shitty they like filmed footage <laughs> yeah, of just, them. so
0: bad. <laughs> it's it's so like bad. they uh, so they shot like,
1: uh... live action footage of themselves, like acting out this like terrible script called anime rock paper scissors, and uh, then they put their filter on it. Then they released it and said, "Hey, we made an anime!" <laughs> Isn't that neat?o but what you salt, say?
0: How does how does how does uh, Vampire Hunter Deep look? must factor into this oh
1: well you might be wondering um when i want to so show tribute to something that i like what i do is i steal their shit is that what you do
0: yeah yeah great artists (laughs) steal um that's the quote right
1: yeah uh bob kane did it you know it worked for him (laughs) in detective 27 god Um, i
0: cannot wait to piss on him when i get to to hell
1: (laughs) 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 fucking so what they did was they i don't i'm not i'm not smart dear reader but what they did was they like fed the fucking movie like still frames of it into the stable diffusion app it's called yeah and it was able to roughly synthesize still frames of their footage and kind of bear a passing resemblance to some aspects of the design, but it doesn't have I the do it. I, I'm being so like, nice I, to them. I'm being yeah. so goddamn nice. This thing looks like dog shit. It's just it's like flickering frames and, look, there's a lot of people doing better analyses than me, and I'm not trying to go too deep into that right now. Yeah, they're it, on the it's... front
0: lines of Letterboxd, if you want to go. Yes.
1: Go read the all the half-star reviews. Everyone there is objectively correct. I, I will uh, allude to the fact that, like, there is a lot to be said here by smarter people about, like, how this is indeed theft. This does work against the already bad labor conditions of the animation industry, like, works against uh, animators, like... Working conditions, and it's like Asian appropriation, which is kind of what our podcast is turning into every episode. <laughs> oh my! God. Um, oh fuck! You know what? Um, one more in my grab bag. Uh, I I mean it. A, a good thing before we, we go down this rabbit hole. Uh, oh, I saw Creed yeah. the Creed Three last night in theaters. Um, that rocked. That's how you do a tribute to anime in a way that is cool. Hmm. It's, like, the very end is, like, a Naruto-Dragon Ball fight. It's fucking sick. Nice. Um, yeah. Good, good shit. So, anyways, you can... Um, I I don't know how to, like, break down the science of this. You can, like, be inspired by anime and make very cool shit, like Michael B. Jordan did in Creed 3, or you can completely misunderstand what makes something like Vampire Hunter, Vampire Hunter D, like, so rad and inspiring and make the utter dog shit that was anime rock,
0: paper, scissors. That said. Yeah. So why, why bring that up now? Why bring that up now? I I wanted to know more. I'm like, how
1: do you get to this point in your life? How do you, how do you get here? Well, I I looked up one of the uh, main people behind this. So the, the main guy in it, he's got this like blonde ish beard his name is Nico Perringer, Perringer? We've butchered plenty of other names in the show, I will we'll get that one wrong too. <laughs> I wanted to know, how do you fucking get to this point in your life where you're so successful and you still can't do the right thing, you can't do the cool thing? Like what kind of person is that? So I look him up, I look up I look up just the last name Perringer. Now I see right away, one of the top hits is this, company in Minnesota called Pueringer Investments. And uh would you have it? What do you know? It's this big real estate company. I was like
0: Now is this is this a real estate company that he is connected to?
1: So that's funny you ask. I'm like, well
0: let's let's
1: try to connect the dots here, right? Because I'm going to lay out a case for you that is not ironclad, but whatever is right below iron is where this is, yeah? The okay. dude is also from Minnesota. This is not a common name. Um uh-huh. Now, I looked up the uh the as much information as I could about the company. What I was able to find was the the we're get, We're about to read the reviews of this fun this company, which will be a good time. There's a guy referenced named uh David Puerringer. Um he uh look at this dude, Lan. Okay, I'm looking. Is that not the same guy?
0: That is <laughs> You
1: put that guy through an age filter, you know what I mean?
0: You know what I, that that's literally just the dad from the, the anime P- paper scissors Right True, Right? That's that's the king, right?
1: <laughs> right. So, uh, to put it all together, Nico is from Minnesota. This company is from Minnesota. Not exactly a populous place. Not a common name. Uh, This dude, David Quaringer, looks exactly like this dude, Nico. I'm gonna say, this is the same same clan. Do you agree?
0: I, again, I'm not going to say anything hardline for legal purposes. But I can see why someone would make the connection between the two. Uh, let's put it that way. Yeah. And, you know, let's say you're trying to
1: break into Hollywood and you decide, you know what, I'm going to go down this expensive route of trying to start, like, a VFX house. Well, you're going to need some investor money.
2: You oh. can connect
1: the rest of the dots from there. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, if you're skeptical about it, that's fine. But uh, I've, I've made up my mind. With that said, we thought we would close out this episode with some of the one-star reviews of the people and apartments of Queringer Investments. Do you got the, the link-up, Land?
0: Yeah, this is a company with a 1.4-star uh, <laughs> total review or average review score on Google... Uh, Google C- Careers? Business? Google Business, I think Now,
1: the first review I'm going to read is probably the most common type of review. We're not going to read all of these, but there's a recurring theme of, like, how does this company make money? Because it doesn't seem like anyone ever gets to actually live in these places. Uh, Noah T. says, with a one-star review, No one is returning my calls. I called about 10 times in the past few weeks, and it goes to voicemail after one ring. I've left multiple voicemails. No one has gotten back to me. There are so many reviews that are exactly like Noah's review. It's, it's wild.
0: So the review I've got here is from Karamia Thompson, which is not, again, a similar vein, but so she says, I requested tours of their properties at least 10 times online and then finally got a call back. This lady started saying that I was snippy on my voice messages. She was very rude and inconsiderate. I made contact about two weeks ago, and she stated that she had no properties except one, but advertised properties for two weeks that I requested to view, but viewing was never allowed. Now today, she stated, I'm snippy, and she will not rent to me. Because I asked if the properties are not available, why are they listed? She obviously has aggressive tendencies and a very poor communicator. I would feel bad for anyone that has this agency as their landlord. She needs to learn professionalism and how to control her anger. And this was from a month ago. Jesus Christ. So now you're wondering, how does
1: this, this like rental company make money? Well, from Lenore, uh, with a one-star review. Local guide. Our local guide, we're we're given a little bit of illumination into this process. She goes, total scam. They will take your money with no intention of ever renting to you or even running a background check. Everyone in the Baxter area knows this place as a scam. They never give security deposits back no matter what. So I'm just imagining like legions of people applying to this place, filling out the rental application, and this place just grifting off of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've got one review here from Vilnius Stumbrus that says, Took my security deposit for an early move out after I gave them three months. Heads up. Filled out their internal forms and paid $150 to do so. I'm happy to pay for any wear and tear I caused. But after cleaning and repairs, they still owe me $1,200. Generally sleazy experience. Wow. Um,
1: there is one person I am looking for in particular. I'm going to read one while i find it um this is from todd uh do you want to read one while i look for the one i'm looking for? sure there's
0: a there's one from uh let's see where did i have it oh amber there we go remember this mystery woman from uh karamia's review well this mystery woman is back and she's got a name Amy is the rudest woman I have ever worked with for one. She never answers the phone. And when she does call you back, she is very unprofessional and rude. I was helping my brother, who was hard of hearing, talk to her on the phone. And she told us that she would not talk to him on speakerphone with me helping and that he would have to hire a licensed translator to help him communicate with her. I have never witnessed such poor customer service from a business. After reading these reviews, I'm glad we didn't do business with them. Don't walk. Run away from this business.
1: Oh, I got two more. I found them. All right. So we'll end up with that. Yeah, I have Tyler and Alyssa. uh, Both one star reviews. Tyler says, I would not recommend this company. They will attempt to charge you for anything when moving out, despite it being in better condition when you move in. The bathroom we had was caving in due to rot and black mold as the building is quite old. When maintenance came, their solution was a thin layer of sealant, which will not undo 10 plus years of rot and black mold. They stated that cleaning the bathroom for the new resident took two hours and then charged $125. The bathroom is never going to be clean when they have 50 plus years of mineral residue from the water as they would not purchase a water softener for the units. Minerals from the water coupled with black mold and rot results in a putrid bathroom. Expecting to charge for cleaning versus fixing the unit is a band-aid solution that no one will benefit from. Initial move-in conditions were not up to par either. There was an astounding amount of dirt behind the oven and fridge as well as sugar in all cupboards. This shows they don't actually clean for new residents as the dirt looks like it had sat there for five years. With no one to monitor them, of course they will attempt to nickel and dime the resident on the way out. Their building in St. Cloud isn't even up to code. It was very easy to find all the exposed wires in this building. <laughs> Holy God shit, dude. Damn. Um, our last one from Alyssa Elgard. This, this was the one that really stuck with me. David Pueringer, the owner, was rude and unprofessional when water was out at my place multiple times within a few days. He did not apologize and was not willing to talk about rent credit maintenance guys came into my house without my consent and there was a handful of times in the winter where my power would go out and i did not have heat do not rent from this place jesus christ that one is terrifying
0: what a fantastic business
1: yeah so again uh saying that uh, this is Nico's family who financed his uh, rise to Hollywood VFX success to make such uh, inspired works as anime Rock, Paper, Scissors. Um, but, you know, you can, you can come to your own conclusions.
0: Yeah, well, we'll let you do your own research, if you will. And with oh. that, I think we're gonna end today's show. Yes. Uh, As always, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, email us at midnightgrappleranimals at gmail.com. It's just the name of our show, at gmail.com. We have a Discord. Uh, We're going to link it in the show notes and hopefully in the description of this episode. Um, And if you haven't already, you should follow us both on Twitter. Uh, I'm at landtweets, L-A-N-T-W-E-E-T-S, and salt is saltmbank. S-A-L-T-M-B-A-N-K. Again, this next one is not even a request. You just should do it. Give us a good review on your podcast app. I'm not sure what podcast app you're even listening to this on, but uh, whatever it is, please. Actually, not
1: please. No. You know what? You're all on notice, except for Seth Jacob.
0: Yeah, shout out, Seth. Seth Uh, gave us a good review. Seth gave us a very good review so I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's, he's listening in and as always thanks for listening keep on grappling
1: you don't get it son this isn't a trash heap
0: it's an operating table and ah! I'm a
2: surgeon gotta love him